0: Welcome into the eight o'clock hour of the great Scott show. I'm Scott Prather. And as promised, joining me now, the man who needs no introduction, I'll give it to him anyway. Mike DeTilier. sports fans, you've heard him for years, college pro football analyst, his NFL draft report is, um, you know, it's. Kind of the draft Bible, as I call it, every year. But he talks ball all year long, and uh, he joins us now to talk some football. Mike, I-, I think the last time we chatted was just ahead of the draft. So, how have the last five months of your life been, man? How you doing?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's always busy for me, one way or another. But I like it that way. It uh, keeps me on my toes, and so um, yeah, all good. All doing real well.
0: So college football. I want to start with that and then and then lead into the Saints and and I'll get to UL with you. I talked to coach jesimo earlier this morning, but I want to start with LSU. Mike, what what in your mind is the realistic what should the realistic expectation be for the Tigers in Brian Kelly's first season there?
1: <laughs> uh, we had on coach Kelly, I'll oh, say this is about a month ago, and I brought up to him, you know, what the uh, win-loss total was in Vegas, and it was the only time he sort of raised his voice. said, I didn't come here to win seven games. <laughs> and so, you know, he sort of half-jokingly said, you know, that in that tone, but you could tell, um, felt that was some disrespect toward him, toward LSU. Uh, I-, I think, you know, when you look at it, um, eight wins in year one with – you know, you get to a bowl game and win a knife. Uh, I, I would think that would be what you're looking at. Uh, they still got talent on this team, What's surprising to me. And I guess the number is stuck in people's head about, oh, they only had 38 or 39 scholarship players for the bowl game. Yeah, okay, that was for the bowl game, and some of that was they didn't want to use up some scholarship. Um, eligibility part uh, on some players. There were some academic issues on some. Uh, there were guys that had some injuries. So the number's really not 38 or 39, but it's stuck in their head. And, and once you got it there, for some people, you're not going to take it out uh, because Brian Kelly's not playing with 50 players or 59 players off of people he picked up there is still some talent on this team left over. And I talked to, I'm not going to say the head coach of an SEC team, and he was like, hey, listen, when I took over, uh, uh, I didn't have no Mason Smith uh, on my defensive line or an Allie Gay or Jaquelin Roy or B.J. O'Jolari or Micah Baskerville or Greg Penn or Michael Jones Jr. When I took over where I am today, Uh, so, you know, you think about that, that basically that front seven for LSU across the defensive line and I get it. Uh, now they have some areas where it's still thin from a numbers standpoint and the biggest issue at LSU on defense is what's going to happen at corner. Uh, Scott, I can't tell you when the last time I've made that comment because normally it's not there. Normally, they, you know, they, they got all kind of talent at the cornerback position. But, you know, you lose two guys early to the NFL in Stingley and Cordell Flott. You had two guys make business decisions, which that's the new world of college football. Uh, Elias Ricks goes to Alabama. McLaughlin goes to Arkansas. You lose your top four corners at the, in the blink of an eye. Uh, not many teams; their fifth and sixth and seventh corners are ready to play, and so Brian spent a lot of time in the you know getting players out of the transfer portal, uh, and he's been able to solidify that spot. How quickly that comes together because that's a lot of communication, and we saw some communication issues uh, last year in the last two years. Uh, secondary-wise. I think they're really good at safety. I don't think that's an issue. And uh, Brian sort of pointed that out, that I feel really good about the safety position. But cornerback is still in in a major question mark. On offense, uh, you got to find a guy that can turn the engine over on the car. You know, bottom line. And something apparently happened uh, from spring to summer where Miles, and there were a lot of indications Miles was going to be the guy, at least to start the season, but something happened there. And Jaden Daniels has become the front runner as of now. But I think when we talk back in the spring, you know, my thing was the one guy that I saw made the biggest improvement from. 2021 to 2022 was Garrett Nussmeier. He was smarter with the football. His reads were quicker. Um, he's always had that, that gun. So the other indication that Miles was the guy was, uh, I know this every year, when they have Manning camp, uh, Archie will always go to the head coach and say, hey, look, I don't want a quarterback controversy. Send me a starter. And Brian Kelly sent Miles Brennan. But Archie, thinking about it after a while, felt, um, because he had some connections to Garrett Nussmeyer's dad um, and Doug Nussmeier, um, let me invite the other kids to come in. On the Saturday, because uh, Manning starts on Thursday. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let me invite the other guys to come in. He said, Mike, I had no clue who Jaden Daniels was. I saw him on TV, but he said, you know, I didn't had no connection to him. Um, he said, you know, I knew Doug Nussmeier very well, but I didn't really know Garrett. Uh, he knew Jamie Howard, and he said, I I had an introduction with Walker, but he said, I really didn't know him and he invited all of them there. And to be honest with you, <laughs> I watched it that Saturday morning. We, we were standing on the sidelines watching them throw and, uh, Scott, uh, it was clear cut who, who can wing it. Uh, Jaden Daniels is a really, uh, tall, lanky, Guy and he's he's a little erratic throwing the football, but he's got a good arm. Nussmeier, if he threw forty passes, not a one of them looked the same. I mean, uh, some of them are side arms, some of them are three quarter, some of them are half, some of them way over the top. <clears throat> but he was accurate. But Walker Howard was the guy. We sort of both looked at one another because we're standing watching. And it's like whoa, uh, one day. That guy might be something special. Um, and so it was interesting to watch the three other guys who all technically looked a little different, but they were all impressive. And you could tell with Jaden, uh, man, he, he scared but bejesus out of you. If you got to play him and then he rolls out because of his foot speed, and he can wing it now, the only thing with, with him, and I've watched enough of him at Arizona State, is that when he is off, he's high off. Those balls sort of sail on him. So what happens? Receiver goes up to try to catch it or he tips it. Mm-mm. You could have a turnover. Uh, with Nussmar, his ball placement skills have gotten much, much better. But the arm talent, and, man, getting a ball from A to D, it was Walker Howard. He was he was really really impressive uh, that Saturday morning, and he was throwing to guys he had never thrown to. That that's the thing, Scott. That oh, when I see it, Manning, these quarterbacks and how accurate they are throwing to receivers they've never thrown before to that, that you know because you try to get that timing down, you can't get a timing down. Okay, if you from I saw it with Will Levis from Kentucky, who I think is a really good player. Um, he was throwing two receivers from Southeastern, Southern, Nickel State, LSU, and Tulane. He had never been on the field with any of those guys. And you can say, well, a route's a route. <laughs> yeah, but it depends on who's running them. Okay? There's that, a difference. And so you got to get that quarterback situation straightened out. I think because of Daniels' movement skills, and because some some uncertainty along the offensive line, that may have been the tipping point. No matter what Brian wants to say about, you know, I feel pretty good about my offensive line, a unit's never played as one before. Because it's five people working as one. And he's talked about working different units. So now you got two units trying to work as, say, one. And that—that's a. It's not at wide receiver. They got talent there. It's the thickest and the most talented position on the team is at wide receiver. Uh, Mason Taylor has, I think, shown up and shown up big in the practices. And it was funny because Coach O told me this last year. Hey, he said, "Yeah, hey, you got to keep your eye on Mason Taylor," and certainly he's got some genetics. You know, um, his dad Jason Taylor was, you know, Pro Football Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Um, we see his, his Aunt Joy um, every day on Colin, and uh, she was a really good athlete, too. So there's some genetics in the family. But it's, it's a big year for John Emery, uh, for all of us who watched him down here at Destrehan and how good of a player he was. Um, now, Brian has always been running back by committee. He, he, he likes that part. So how many touches Noah, Noah Kane gets? Uh, And he came in a little bit late. He wasn't a spring guy. So it's interesting on offense how that will all emerge. And what you see in the first game is maybe not what you're going to see in game three. But they're all in Louisiana. And so that helps Brian Well, if you can get off to a fast start. Um, And that Florida State game is big. And he's certainly familiar with Florida State, having played them the last couple years at Notre Dame.
0: Mike, to tell you, our guest, so is it fair to say, Mike, that the, the biggest question mark from a positional standpoint is the same now as it was a year ago, and that's the offensive yep. line?
1: Offensive line and quarterback. In, you know, the quarterback situation got handled sort of on its own uh, because, you know, Miles um, at a fishing camp in Grand Isle, you know, gets injured and, and breaks his arm, and, it, you know, it's, it's putting Max's hands uh but I I feel better about the offensive line this year than I did a, a year ago. I think you have more talent and more depth. They were they were able to go out and get a couple of um, transfers that I think can help. Will Campbell, I mean, he don't look like no eighteen year old freshman to me. Um I've seen him play and I got a chance to talk to him, you know, he doesn't act like an eighteen year old either. I mean, he he understands a lot of eyes on him. And uh, the development of Garrett Dellinger. And it was funny, the first time we had on um, Coach Kelly, and I asked him about Garrett, and he said, well, you know, he's coming off the shoulder injury, but we have a lot of hopes for him, and we think he can be a starter, but I'm looking at maybe putting him at center. Now, he had played guard and tackle a year ago, but he had not played center. Well, he basically tipped me off to what exactly what he was thinking of, because where does he line up in the fall drills? Center. But he was actually telling me without telling me uh, that that's what he was going to do with Dellinger, uh, who's a really good prospect. Um, Now, that's a difficult position to come in to master. Oh yeah uh, because you' making all the line calls, uh, you making them up front, you making sure everything is set. and also you picking up what today you see so much of, and that's interior blitzes. It's not so much coming off the edge, it's coming right up the middle because that's the quickest way to get to the quarterback, is, is that gap, that A right, right up the middle. And so you got to pick that up. And so you haven't done it before. It would be interesting to see Garrett, how well he handles that in the game. But uh, I've been told he looks pretty good as far as uh, handling that center position. And um, Anthony Bradford's the intrigue guy for me because I know from talking to Coach Hill back then, he had always told me that Bradford was the most talented offensive lineman he had. But he said, mikey has got weight, uh, conditioning issues. He's got to lose some weight. He's got to get his weight down. And he's got to be a little bit more focused player. And he's lost 30, 35 pounds, which on a 370-pound man um, is not a ton of weight, but it's, a, it's still 35 pounds is a lot of weight on anyone. And he looks to be a different player today. And the focus is there. And I think that's the one thing with Brian. You know, he's going to get your attention real quick. There's a new sheriff in town. And bottom line is going to be you're going to do it my way or you can go somewhere else. And he's had that conversation. And I think a couple of them have a whiff somewhere else because of it. He's not going to put up with it. Uh, he understands the pressures to win. More than any other coach you could hire. If you've ever been to South Bend, Indiana, and you walk through those halls and see those national championships and understand what pressure is about and the alumni and the people who's cutting you checks every year, he understands SEC press more than anybody. Because uh, you got it when you enter the that place. Uh, it's it's not easy, and and they don't want you to win eight games or nine games. You know they talking about they want you to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. And he was in that final four a couple times, didn't win it, uh, but he he understands it that. But just that comment, Scott, it was very quick about I didn't come here to win seven games. That, it, it,
0: it, yes. And I'm looking at, you know, I'm trying to look at past history with LSU and, you know, similar situations. And they're really, this one isn't super similar, but the most recent year that I could think of that's kind of reminiscent is Nick Saban's first year because it was the last time they were coming off a losing season, albeit, you know, I think they were 3-8, and eight, not 6-7. and seven. Uh, and it was, it was Saban's first year. And it was the last time they weren't even ranked entering the preseason. They won eight games that year. They ended up yeah. finishing in the top 25. And I think for me, anyway, I feel like that's kind of, uh, and they even lost UAB that year, but they, they, you know, they, they finished strong with the, you know, the exception of that game at Arkansas where Josh Booty struggled, but like you saw that team improve as the season went on and, Uh, And they had a lot of talent, right? Guys like LeBrandon Tofield and Josh Reed and Robert Royal. And and I could go on. I'm looking at this year. All right, you're coming in. You're unranked for the first time since then. You got a new head coach like you did then. You're coming off a losing season for the first time since then. And I thought uh, the, the growth on the team that year in Saban's first season and winning eight games and finishing ranked, I thought that was a really good season. All things considered, there were hiccups, sure. I feel like if, if Coach Kelly does something similar, that's a good start for him. And, and Mike, you, you probably know this better than I do because you're always interacting with football fans. When I tell LSU fans that, they're telling me, no, 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 that's, that's not good. That's not good enough. I'm like, well, you know, what, what are you expecting here? But that just comes with being the head coach at LSU. And I think he gets yeah. that based on that comment he told you.
1: Yeah, it, it, and you spoiled rotten, too. Okay, no question. because you're used to play being double-digit, uh, you know, you got that national champ, which is still in the back of a lot of people's mind in, in 2019, and that may have been the greatest college football season ever when you consider everything involved and who you had to beat to get to that, uh, but uh, it's it's not going to be one of these flip the switch and you go from six wins to 11 wins. But I agree with you to go from six wins to nine wins, which you could do you know, with a bowl win. Uh, that, that, to me, would be a, a big win for Brian Kelly, and he's already certainly making some headway in the recruiting part. And I knew that would take a little while to get started, only because the connections he didn't have here other than Frank Wilson uh, and Cortez Hankton, who do have connections here. And, you know, you're bringing in a new staff. He's a new head coach. And I knew early on most of those commitments would be out-of-state kids because that's the connections you have. It's not necessarily in the state of Louisiana, You know, so I do an interview with Jacques Doucet about it, and I said, you know, I knew it would be a little bit of a slow start, but I think once he got his feet right, it would be okay. (laughs) Man, I got him. Oh, man, LSU don't know how to use no name, image, likeness. They need one of them things in there. That's their problem. Okay, everybody got name, image, likeness. But you got to understand recruiting is about connect the dots Uh, with coaches, with parents, guardians, you name it. Uh, trainers, you you got to connect the dots, and that's going to take a little while. Then all of a sudden, July hits, and what we've seen since, and you've seen LSU make that run uh, on players. And so it took a little while, and that's not a surprise. But I think, you know, we live in a world where I want it now. I I want 25 commitments today. Okay, you're not going to get that. Um, and, and it, you see the momentum building for him, and he sort of had to introduce himself to a new group of young men also. People in the state of Louisiana knew Ed Ogeron. He was from here, uh, and there's not a high school kid that didn't watch that 2019 season, okay, uh, and saw what happened then, and Ed was a part of that. And so many people from this area with connections, if it was Mickey Joseph, if it was Kevin Falk, if it was Greg McMahon, uh, you can kind of go down the road, you know, with, with a number of them that they had connections to this state and high school kids in this state, Corey Raymond, uh, also another one major a recruiter there. And so it was going to take a little while for all that to come together. And, but it didn't take long. But people were impatient. Uh, it, it's because name, image, likeness. No, okay. Name, image, likeness has certainly stuff that plays a part in it today, no question. But it's also having some familiarity with the players that you're trying to go after. Brian was recruiting a different players or player set at Notre Dame than he is at LSU. And it just took a little while for for all that to settle in. And um, I think he's uh, more familiar with the area, with the coaches, how it's done. They're, they're familiar with him now. Just like Coach O was different than Les Miles and Les was different from Nick, you know, Brian's different from O and Les and Nick. Now, he's more like Nick in a lot of ways. Then he is Miles and and Coach O, but again, I think for the what had to happen, I think he was the right choice because he understands what it is to play and to have to win under pressure. And like I said, uh, you know, if you're a certain age. You look at Notre Dame differently than if you're a younger person. That, you know, because I grew up late 60s, 70s. Man, you talk about pressure. Notre Dame had pressure. Uh, you you weren't just playing for eight or nine wins. You were playing for – you had to play for a national championship. And um, that's changed a little bit, and they were still certainly a contender. But Brian understands it's all about winning. Because if you don't win here – you ain't staying here. Doesn't matter what you got on your resume, <clears throat> and I think you can come become complacent. And I think, to a certain extent, uh, I think that went through the program a little bit. And it's—I see this in other professions a lot. People get a little bit of success, and it changes their attitude. It changes their work habits instead of getting up at 5.30 in the morning to go work out, man, I'm going to just sleep in a little bit, uh, maybe not hit the weights as hard, maybe not do as much running, your mindset, uh, you know, hey, listen, we got it. Won the championship already. We won this. We got, we got this. Long after you and I have shared this mortal coil that we in, they're going to be writing books about Nick Saban. And i never forget this was maybe five years ago. Um, at the Louisiana line camp, Pete Jenkins and I, we we come for dinner time and we go eat at a little restaurant on the bayou. And we pass in front of a church with, and they have, you know, the big cemetery along the side. And I saw Coach take a peek and he took a second peek and he said, Mike, look in that cemetery. You got a lot of bodies of dead coaches trying to catch Nick Saban. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got what he was trying to say. Hell yeah. That Man, he's buried a lot of them uh, because, you know, his standards are different. He's a once-in-a-lifetime coach. You and I will never see a coach win with that type consistency year in, year out. We're we not going to live long enough for it. And for people who are listening, they're not living long enough either. The, the college football world is changing forever, and you're not going to see that anymore. But what he was able to do was also he put a a tremendous pressure on the other SEC coaches to try to keep up. And good luck with that, buddy. Uh, uh, He's he's at a different level. And uh, we've never seen a college coach dominate the college football world like what he did for that long a period of time with consistency and being able to have his teams either playing for SEC titles – Or the national championship. And they, uh, Ryan Fowler told me this uh, yesterday. uh, We had him on that they have the second place trophy in where the the lunchroom where the players eat. And there's a little sign under the second place trophy. And you got to see it when you get in there. You got to take a look at it. Is this what we play for every year? With a question mark. You don't think Nick is already sort of, you know, he's sort of poking the bear a little bit. That, hey, uh, we're not here to be a second-place team. We're here to win it all. And that's his motivation, to stick that second-place trophy <laughs> in that um, in that lunchroom. Mike, that I, uh, everybody, every day sees it.
0: Mike Dettilier, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. I kind of, I'll say I was, I'm kind of joking when I say it. But people were asking back when the coaches poll came out last week, who in the hell gave Texas a number one overall vote? Like, that's uh, ridiculous. And I said, maybe Nick Saban because, you know, he wants a number next to the name so his team doesn't overlook him. <laughs> too. Like, it seems like something he would do. And yeah, it sure does. About, you know, uh, Mike, to tell sure you our guest. All right, Mike, I want to um, ask you about uh, your thoughts on Louisiana Rage of Cajuns. You know, I was talking to Coach Desimo last hour and, they got the longest win streak in in you know D one FCS football FBS football rather thirteen straight games. They're not preseason ranked. They've they're going to have a new quarterback. Obviously they got a new coach. But I look up and down their schedule and I'm on paper right now. It's always subject to change. They might be a betting underdog in in two games this year. It's it's not. It's one of the more you know. Lighter schedules in terms of strength of schedule that they've had in quite some time, and these schedules are made years out. You know, it just it's kind of how the how it falls. But that's, in my opinion, that's not a bad thing for the team this year and what they have going. What is your talk about expectations for LSU? What What do you think the proper expectation is for for UL this season?
1: Well, Billy raised the bar, didn't he? Just a little. So (laughs) yeah. So Mike is falling in some big moccasins here. And I'm always a little bit leery, you know, at quarterback. And you lose your top offensive lineman too, uh, because those guys are gold—just absolute gold. And I, I'll give Billy a lot of credit, and he's been able to find, I guess, these two star guys, and, and you know, and they turn into guys that play at the pro level up front. And I, I think that's as much as. We talk about running backs and receivers, defensive backs. I, this game is still about winning up front, offensive, defensive line, and having a guy that can turn the engine over on the car. So uh, I would like to see how that offensive line works out. And certainly at, at the quarterback position is is also critical. Uh, because Levi made plays – well really good and it's always been running back by committee and and that's still a part of it but you got to win up front it, that's to me the question mark can you be that physical team that you've been in the past because offensive line play is difficult uh to have it all gel together and while you do have some pieces coming back uh, again, it's to make it work. That, that's the big question mark for me. I, not so much on the defensive side. Uh, I think it's going to be more on the offensive side. Um, can you have a playmaker at quarterback? Can he make plays at critical times? I, you certainly have the running backs to fill that void. Um, and they've got some good ones. <laughs> they got some real good ones at running back. But offensive line play, I think, is going to be the deal. And it's it's mindset. And that's why it's critical for Mike to get off and, and you all to get off to a quick start. To, to bring, hey, look, okay, Billy did a great job. And we appreciate everything he's done and his coaching staff and everything. But you know what? Hey, it's our team now. And we're going to show you that it's going to be the transition is going to be smooth. Because it does become mindset with some players that, man, was, was Billy the mastermind of all this? Are we really that good if you start to lose games early? No matter how mentally tough you are, that does set in. So I think it's critical to get off to a quick start. And you're right. I think the schedule is favorable for that to happen, to get off to a quick start. And they have some positions there where it really looks good. Now I like what they have on the defensive side, the football. And they've always been aggressive. They flow quickly to the football. Um, always been known as a, as a real aggressive team. And I think you'll see that again. Question mark, offensive line play, quarterback. I think, so aren't we sort of looking at the same mirror that LSU is?
0: Yeah, in in a lot of ways. And to your point about the O line, it's it's been for me, coach. Uh, excuse me, coach Mike, the thing that I've that I've told you know the listeners and fans of the team since the spring, like this, yeah, we we it's it's a question mark. Doesn't mean that the answer is going to be bad. Doesn't mean it's going to be good. We'll find out. Since I moved back here. Uh, and started working at this radio station in 2005 so 17 years the the offensive line at UL has been the most consistent and best unit year in year out some years maybe it's number 2 but it's it's always been one of the best they have had all conference players on it consistently year after year even back when you know when 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 Michael was playing as the All Sun Belt conference quarterback for the Cajuns yep. and if if that continues If that trend continues, then the team's going to have a really good season. And if they have some, and it's just, you had some injuries. You didn't get to see as many guys in the spring. You had guys that obviously, you know, one transfer to, to, you know, to Florida, another, uh, you know, he's in the pros now with the jets. Looks like he's an even possible candidate to start in year one. Um, That's. That's what you have to replace. But you bring back Carlos Rubio, who was hurt last year. He's got starting experience. A.J. Gillies is the strongest player on the team. Uh, David Hudson has some starters. These guys that we haven't gotten to see a lot of yet. And every time I ask the quarterbacks or ask coach, they say that they're looking great and they have full confidence in them. But when the season starts, when they kick off in 17 days, Mike, I'm looking at the O-line. I know, I know everyone's following the ball. I'm watching the O-line from start to finish. That's what I'm most curious about because I think yeah. – Ultimately, it will dictate a lot about how this season goes for the Cajuns.
1: Uh, You and I on the same page with that, and it's not about individual talent. It's about five working as one. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's why for whatever reason, I don't played on a long offensive line, but I get man, I get all this tape for offensive linemen, and uh, you know, so uh, it is what it is. But it is having that five unit. 5 player unit work as one. Because you can do your job, but if the guy next to you doesn't, the play screwed up. Okay? Uh, and that was something we sort of took for granted. It, it almost looked like a machine the last couple years for the Raging Cajuns up front. That no matter who you had at running back, didn't the plays and the way it was run all look the same, that has nothing to do with the running backs. That has everything to do with what you got up front. And it was machine-like. Can they get that unit to play at a top level? And, again, it's not so much about individual play, and you have to take care of your own business, but it's five working as one. It's like a dance unit. Okay, If you go see a dance unit and one individual out of the first five you see is out of step, (laughs) it doesn't look right, does it? And that's what it is on offensive line play. Uh, It's the same thing. We had Doug Marone uh, talk to us about offensive line play, and, and he was saying that that sort of happened last year at Alabama with him, that um you know, what they were doing there, he said, you know, most for most of the time you watch the film, you know, you had four guys all do the right thing, one guy mess up. he, he blow an assignment. Or, you know, he said, then we shove a tight end to help. And the tight end, you know, he doesn't take the right angle for a block, and he gets beat. And the center doesn't pick up and a delayed blitz which you've seen so much today. And that's why not only should you watch the offensive line play, watch what's going to happen at center for the Raging Cajuns. Because more and more when, you, when I do all these camps and you hear coaches talk, they talk about attacking the center guard positions more than any other. Because you say, man, you got some really good big-man athletes out at tackle. So you got to make the round to get to the quarterback. Now what they try to do is delay the blitz a little bit with a linebacker or a safety and everybody's set and they look around and a man, a guy comes flying in and it, you might have a quarterback that can move, but one thing you do, you got him off his launch pad. Now all of a sudden he's running uh, and he's not as accurate on, on that move. And so that's why, I I think what we've seen the last couple years with the raging Cajuns have been so impressive have been what they've had in the interior when teams try to jam another guy in there to try to stop the run or get a little bit of pressure on Levi, and they jammed it. Wow, it was over. You know, game, set, match. They got it done. But, you know, the running plays all look similar and all look the same, and you're like, wow. Wow. That, that's so impressive because you understand, if you understand football, how difficult that is to happen with all the schemes and all the looks that you're going to see. At, even at the collegiate level, and I'm not talking about the pro level, I'm talking about the collegiate level, they throw a lot of different looks at that offensive line and at the center and at the quarterback. And one of those two guys got to make the call. Okay, he's got to make the adjustment, one of the two. And sometimes both of them have to. And so I agree with you, Scott, wholeheartedly. I, I do think it's it's a big – I don't know if you want to call it a question mark, but it is the mystery question uh, for the Raging Cajuns this year because they have enough defensively. I, I'm not too concerned about that. I, I think they'll be fine on defense. The running back core has always been good, and they they got some guys there that, that can carry the rock. And um, the consistency throwing the football – and I thought that was something Levi brought to the table. He made big plays when he had to, with his feet and with his arm, and being able to run the football when you need to and have to. That—that's the the mystery questions for the raging Cajuns. But I agree with you. Also, the schedule is favorable. Now, no coach wants to hear that, but it does help. Come on, uh, you know, in the back of your mind, you know who who's really good and who isn't. You you know that. And so um, I think a quick start would certainly help Mike and and what he's been able to piece together uh, for the Raging Cages.
0: All right. We got uh, about 10 more minutes or so with you, Mike. I want to get into the Saints. uh, If you don't mind hanging out, we'll hit on a quick break. You good for one more short segment? Yeah, I'm good. All right, we'll talk some Saints when we come back. Right after this, it's the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticketed sports. Are you sick and tired of that constant pain in your knees or your hips or your back, especially this time of year? You need to be moving pain-free, right? Hey, guys, it's Scott Prather for the team at QC Kinetics. QC Kinetics is helping people right here every day, giving them lasting pain relief using the latest advances in regenerative medicine. It's simple, right? The science is not complicated. They concentrate your own body's healing agents and they apply them to your aching joints, restoring and repairing damaged tissue with no drugs, no steroids, and no surgery. Listen guys, the old remedies for pain are not the only remedies. You need to learn more about how regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can change your life. Make this summer, the last summer you suffer from chronic pain. They have clinics right here and all over America. This, this is the exciting new natural way to deal with joint pain with no side effects and no downtime. Call QC Kinetics now for a free consultation. 337-243-4222. That's 337-243-4222. 337-243-4222. Shoulda and woulda. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a big skin quarter mile. Are you serious? They all play here. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, Lafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the great Scott show. One more segment with the great Mike Dettelier. We've got him for about another 10 minutes, and then we'll let him get back to... Man, Mike, I, I, what, what is a normal... You don't have to expand on this for too long, but uh, in, in mid-August, what does a normal day look like for Mike Dettelier?
1: I'll get up uh, probably around 4.30, watch film for about an hour and a half on players. Um, quick breakfast. Um... Go to Saints camp, watch practice, um, do the interviews, and everything I got to do for the Big L, and um, then help set up some guests for the afternoon show. Uh, When I get back, uh, supper time. I don't like to eat at uh, Dials. Be honest, and it's it's, it's seldom. Uh, So always go. We always go out and eat. And uh, when I get back, it's um, you know answering emails, texts, everything else. I try to do it as quickly as I can because, uh, man, I hate to be put off if somebody texts me something. So, um, you know, yeah, I give them a yes or a no real quick. And then it's basically spend a little time with the grandkitties, and, uh, you know, you just, you're just balancing it in August. It's probably as tough a month for me as any. <clears throat> not, It's not so much during the season. That's pretty regimented. Uh, but August is, is a lot of different, because now, you know, if I wanted to, I could probably do 10 to 12 radio shows, TV a day. Uh, you, you get requests from that many. Uh, but um, August is probably the worst or the hardest month for me uh, to, to handle, just because of so many things happening and you trying to take care of different things leading up into the season and getting your schedule uh, right. And I do 10 pregame shows each week during the uh, college football season and involved with Saints and Titans. So that makes it 12 a week.
0: Mike, with the Saints, I've asked you expectation questions for you, for LSU. I've, I've pointed out many times that the local... Expectation by local I mean the the people that cover the team those of us here in South Louisiana appear to be higher than those on the outside. You can look at. Yep. I don't know you want to read what a national writer writes? But I like to just look at the betting lines, and it, it can tell you a lot about how folks are feeling. And the fact that you know over unders for win total or Super Bowl odds are greater now than they were a year ago, and last summer tells you that a lot of people don't think they'll be as good. And I get there is an an impact with Sean Payton leaving. I get it. I get it. But from a roster standpoint, nobody can sit here and tell me that this roster isn't better than the one that they had a year ago heading into the season. I mean, sell me something else because I'm not buying it. This roster is better than they were a year ago. They're dramatically approved at receiver. And I think the expectation level for most folks around here, Mike, is... 10-11 10-11 wins, playoffs, depending on what Tampa does. Maybe you're competing for the division. And I think nationally it's it's a bit lower than that. What is, in your mind, the true expectation for this team this year?
1: Yeah, every national show I've done, you know, that their deal is, you know, this team would be lucky to have a winning season. And my thing is, you haven't seen this defense play. And where were you a year ago? They gave up the least amount of points in the NFC. Um, 3.7 yards a rush. They played the first six games without their best defensive tackle in David Anumata. Uh Peyton Turner, a first-round pick, played a grand total of five games. Uh, Marcus Davenport was terrific when he played, but he missed six full games during the season. You played it with a rookie corner in Pulse in the Depot, um, and that's just on defense. <clears throat> the other part about it is. You didn't have your all-pro punter, a uh, kicker. Excuse me. You had to change it. Punter and Gillikin was terrific, uh, and as a punter, but not having Will Lutz, um, Sean had talked to me about it after the season. Uh, that you know how much, you know you you didn't expect that to happen. You knew he was he had some issues groin-wise, but he didn't think he'd miss the whole season. And then, you know, you missed that. And early on, it was a revolving door. And Sean got no patience with kickers. He's just like Parcells for that. And, yeah, you got one a little bit later. And Mayor did a pretty solid job. But, man, early on, it really cost you probably a couple games. Having Will Lutz back and then not having Michael Thomas on offense. And he looks today, Scott, like the 2019 version. You know, you watch him in practice. I mean, (laughs) He looks unbelievable out there. He really does look like that 2019 version. And then to have Jarvis Landry, I've known Jarvis since he was a freshman at Lutcher High School. That's when my cousin Tim uh, was the head coach at Lutcher, and he told me about it. Mike, I think he might be the best football player I've ever coached. I said, okay, what eligibility is he? He said he's a freshman. I'm Like okay, and and man, he was he was every bit as advertised uh, at Lucha at LSU and certainly in the NFL. And then Chris Olave brings you that big play element. The big question mark for me with the Saints is offensive line play. It was a year ago. It is today. Uh, you can talk about Jameis and how consistent he can be. But last year he he wasn't working with a full uh, basket full of groceries. Uh, when you you know you look at Marquez Callaway and and Deontay Hardy today, you know they're going to be the fourth and fifth options on this team. So it's offensive line play for me, and again, it's similar to what we talked about with with UL and at LSU. You've spent a lot of time and capital uh, on offensive line. Ryan Ramchak one of the best in the business. He got hurt last year. He takes like one rep <laughs> in practice because I watch it. I go to the corner and I watch him work. <laughs> Ryan gets his rep in. Okay, I got my quarter for the day. Okay, uh, practice is for the unskilled. He's skilled. He, I, I know what Ryan Ramchak can do. It's all about Landon Young <laughs> and Lewis Kidd, who's a surprise for me. He's really practiced well. I think, and that ends up being a pretty good player for this team. And, you know, the only guy that started all 17 games last year was Cesar Ruiz, all 17. He's probably your worst offensive lineman. No doubt. And the other four starters, they missed 32 starts. So can you keep Andrews Pete healthy? Uh, You know, Eric McCoy is a good player, but I think he was overcompensating for some of the bad guard play. And then at the tackle position, you start in the game today, it's James Hurst. I mean, that's no question. I've said that from the opening day of practice, and I'll say it today. It's Hurst. <clears throat> Trevor Penning's got a lot of talent, and he's got a lot of want, too. And I think one day he's going to end up being a really good left tackle in this league. And he's a physical, aggressive run blocker, and he excels in that part of the game. But you see some of the elements of having to learn a little bit different pass protection techniques at the pro level. And sometimes, I guess, the best way to explain it is he plays too fast. He's got to calm down in that he's not real good sometimes with that hand punch and then adjust to it to cut off that defender's outside or inside edge. And he gets his feet sort of tangled, and then he gets beat. And we saw it Saturday night Four four different times it happens to him. The rest of the time, he, he was okay. He played under control, but there are times that it's too fast for him. And so he's thinking, he's just not reacting. And that's just going to take a little bit of time uh, with him. Hearse is a vet, been there, done that. How well that unit can play up front, and this was last April. Um, Osharong had called me and said, listen, I want you to do something for me. Uh, Look at the injuries in college and pro football and what positions get injured the most. You say, can you do it? I said, yeah. uh, Yeah, I I think I can piece that together. Tackles, and I had to lump guard and center together, but tackles, guard, center, running back, those positions get injured the most. Most starts, and you get it, okay? It's a high collision area along that offensive line, and you're going to miss people for periods of time. So you better have a good second unit. You better have a good backup tackle. You better have a good backup guard. You better have a good backup center. If you don't believe it made a difference, look at that Saints offensive line a year ago. Uh, What they averaged, 3.7 yards a carry. I think it was 28th in the NFL. They only got 32 teams. They couldn't run the ball. That has to get better. And you got to be able to give Jameis some time to throw the football. To me, that's the biggest question mark for this team. Best secondary I've ever seen with the Saints. No doubt. No uh, I doubt. was a kid, and I saw the early editions, so it, that wasn't too good. But, <laughs> I, you know, I've covered them for over 30 years. They had never had a secondary this good, this deep. That depth really has good. never
0: been there. It, it, in the past, it always felt like you have one, maybe you have two, but if this guy goes down, you're in big trouble, and it's it's just – I. <laughs> In the last six years, no positional unit on the Saints has taken a bigger leap than the secondary.
1: No question about it. And defensive line play, you got them. they all look sorta of the same at defensive end. Cam's the the run of the litter, so to speak. He sort of joked about that with us. Man, I'm the small guy in a bunch. Uh, when, you know, when you look at, you know, the Peyton Turner's and, you know, Pasino and like Grandison, you know, Grandison, he's six five but he's got an 84-inch wingspan. It's like a big condor coming at you. <clears throat> and they got some talent up front uh, along that defensive line. Uh, they're, they're paper thin right now because of some injuries uh, at linebacker. But I'm going to tell you something. DeMario Davis, man, you know, he, he's just unbelievably awesome player and a great leader. But the one guy that surprised me, and he came in sort of late, and every practice you watch him, he makes plays, and he made plays Saturday, Chase Hansen. Now, he got to stay healthy because, man, his list of injuries is about as thick as War and Peace, the book, the Russian version. Not not the one we can read, the Russian version of it. I mean, he has got a long list of injuries, but, man, is he a playmaker uh, at linebacker. Um you're deeper now than you've ever been in the Sean Payton timeframe at wide receiver. When you think about you got a pro bowl guy in Michael Thomas, you got a pro bowler in Jarvis Landry. Olave brings you that big play element. I think Callaway is, is talented and, and he's seemingly getting better. And Deontay, he's a hit play. You know, he's the guy that can really run after catch. Then you got the two young kids pressing for time, you know, Dejon Dixon, who I saw all those years at Nichols. He was a tremendous player there, very confident young man. And Kirk Merritt, another guy, played right up the road from me at Destrahan. and he's been impressive in camp. Um, and Taysom Hill is the X factor. Uh, and I think for whatever reasons, and I get it, listen, I don't want to show nobody too much about anything with Taysom. They're sort of keeping that in their hip pocket. Taysom's gonna be a real weapon here. If he can he had a rib injury early on, but you can see he's skilled, Scott. Man, can he catch the ball? Um and that running back certainly Camara, he's he's in a league of his own. There's not too many guys uh that's as good as Alvin in this league as a runner and receiver, and from all indications, and we've heard this from a number of legal analysts we've had on, um as far back as May, virtually everyone said they don't think Camara would get a suspension until 2023 because of the way the court system is, and it's being pushed back. Now, September 29th, they're supposed to have a hearing to maybe set a court date. Okay, what if they set the court date for January?
0: <laughs> Safest bet in the world, Mike, is um, in 2023. Alvin Kamara before the season will um, convert his regular season salary into a signing bonus and play for a game minimum uh, all season. That's 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 how those things go, man.
1: But 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 I think that they're a ten win team. It's a difficult schedule in November. They could squeeze another game out, but they are going to be a major contender in the NFC South for the title. And. Um, You know, we've had a couple different people tell us, listen, eventually brady got to get old, okay? Now, he's fought this for a long time, and he's beaten it. But, man, no one has ever beaten Father Time in any sport, no one. But he has been the biggest contender I've ever seen for it uh, at his age. And now with all those injuries and having some defections and retirement, along the interior offensive line. Brady don't like that. Man, I don't want that pressure up the middle. And he he never did like people around his feet to begin with. Uh, He's very protective of his lower body. Uh, But just because he's not a movement guy, he's got to get to that launch pad. And that's what's frustrated him when he's played the Saints. The Saints have given him a lot of pressure right up the middle. He don't like that uh, at all. And so we'll see what happens. But I think... This is a 10-win team. They're a playoff team. And once the playoffs happen, you know, you got to have a little bit of of luck and a little bit of good play and a little bit of good health uh, to move you along. But uh, you look at the Packers, the obvious weaknesses at wide receiver, we're seeing it in practice. Okay? Um, Brady, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is frustrated because he doesn't have Devontae Adams to go to anymore. You look at the Rams, who knows what happens there, but I never like to hear my quarterback's got elbow issues in August. Okay, (laughs) that's not good uh, when you start to have that. And, you know, Tampa, uh, up front along the offensive line, there are some major issues there. I think they're a really good team. And, And can Brady play at the level he played a year ago? which is unbelievable for 44 years old. It's unbelievable for 24, much less 44.
0: The NFC is open, Mike. It really is. Yes. Uh, the, the NFC is open. Mike Dettelier has been our guest. We're uh, we're running overtime, and I have no issues with that. When we have on Mike as a guest. Mike, I could talk football with you all day, man. We're going to let you run. Everybody, follow him on Twitter at Mike Dettelier. Listen to him on WWL check out, uh, obviously, you know, every year I tell people get that, that M and NFL draft report, but uh, you know, Mike, you've heard him for years. Appreciate you coming on, Mike. Um, enjoy the season, continue success. And I know we'll be talking to you down the line, my friend.
1: Thank you, brother. Always great to be on with you, Scott.
0: That is Mike Dettelier, the great
1: Mike.